I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind, and this is a special audio podcast exclusive of the program. I'm delighted to welcome Ross Barkin. He is columnist for The Guardian, contributor to The, Ma- the Nation, and author of Demolition Night uh, and an NYU adjunct professor. He's also covered local and state politics in New York um, extensively, and uh, I'm, I'm glad to have him on the podcast. Welcome, Ross. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Ross, you have tracked Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio pretty closely in their respective tenures um, prior to COVID and the pandemic, but you have, with a very penetrating eye, documented their failures in responding to the initial outbreak. We see the numbers now in decline, but that doesn't really tell the full story. Was it, in your mind, sort of a characteristic ineptness or or lack of courage that led to the failure in New York as it compares to, for instance, the the rather imaginative and courageous and farsighted and you might say precocious response in Seattle and Washington? You know, it's an excellent question. Uh, It's one I've thought about. Um, I mean, to be frank, uh, I, I don't, I don't know if there was, if there was just something, if there's something inherently problematic with how de Blasio and and Cuomo govern generally. I mean, I I personally have had a lot of criticisms of their leadership um, throughout both of their tenures. De Blasio has managed past crises, uh, not of this magnitude, um, much better. You know, I think of the Ebola outbreak in 2014, uh, which, which the city handled, of course, that was a very different challenge and, and not a, not a real challenge compared to the one we're, we're currently encountering. And, and, you know, for Andrew Cuomo, he's someone, he has a reputation as a crisis manager. I haven't really seen it. You know, I think back even to Hurricane Sandy in, in 2012, when the city was wrecked by it, by a super storm, and the response was quite awful. You know, Michael Bloomberg took a lot of the heat for um, failing to, to really uh, rebuild uh, those parts of New York City effectively and efficiently, but the state was really no help. So I, I don't think Cuomo and de Blasio are, are terribly great at what they do. At the same time, I, I don't know if it took extraordinarily visionary leadership to mitigate the effects of COVID-19. You know, it was really a matter of putting into place strict social distancing measures um, far sooner than than they were. And you saw other executives, both Democrats and Republicans throughout the country, moving with more speed. And they did not. And, and we're paying the price. And, and, and in March, I, I knew they were moving too slowly. And, and now two months later, we really see the carnage, and it's very disheartening. It certainly is disheartening. One of the things that's been pointed out is in past state and city collaborations, there is undoubtedly well known to the public and our listeners a feud, um, a challenging relationship with the governor and mayor um, as a function of their of their politics and personalities. Um, the, the mayor being more progressive um, and the, the governor being more of a centrist. 
um, by New York accounts in terms of the way we've seen the party evolve more center right than center left even for the governor. Um, that's something you've taken note of. So there is that inherent difference between their politics and personality, the mayor more likely to assume a spotlight, the governor more refrained, very limited in his media availability up until the pandemic and in general through his tenure as governor. Those are the dynamics that, that you saw every day covering City Hall and covering the governor's office. But being bold would have required leadership from both of them to recognize that being a leader in the face of this crisis, maybe not other crises, but this crisis was not going to Chinatown and, and modeling, you know, sort of good citizenship and participating in a Chinese American or Chinese business. It was knowing that this was the next pandemic of a century and that we ought to close the Port Authority. And it really could have been a massive political and public policy victory if Governor Cuomo with Governor Murphy and the, the, the mayor, Mayor de Blasio, determined that a temporary suspension of travel into the Port Authority hubs was necessary. Um, that really, barring anything else, would have been the most drastic and appropriate measure. And it, it didn't happen. And no one, and what you point out in your newsletter and in your reporting is no one is even asking why they didn't have the courage or imagination to take a step like that. Right. It's what was striking to me um, throughout all this, all this was Bill de Blasio rightfully so was facing a lot of criticism for dragging his feet on and imposing um, shutdowns and social distancing measures, keeping the schools open too long um and and feuding with his health department and ignoring their advice but andrew cuomo at the same time had been elevated to this perch of uh lincoln-esque um in, in terms of how he was being portrayed as this great visionary who is seeing us through a terrible time you know a lincoln a churchill a roosevelt and he was nothing like that at all in fact he he too was was slow-footed and 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 uh doddering <laughs> despite his reputation for something else you, you know you're talking right. about and he's, uh, and he's criticizing the new york times now for not editorializing that there should be a shutdown when we have the authority to do precisely what i said which is shut down incoming air travel train travel pedestrian traffic to whatever degree necessary but that didn't happen and, no. uh, you know, but, but it, isn't it his, his restraint and calculation that would have led to that? Because s someone who's aspirational and thinking about like long-term goals would have contemplated the, those steps. And, and is, is it under the guise of sort of progressive pluralistic politics that he refused, that you think uh, Governor Cuomo refused to consider the efficacy of a travel suspension? because it would have been perceived in the light of the Muslim ban and steps that the Trump administration has taken. Um, and I do want to follow up with you too on the nursing homes and culpability there. Sure. We'll get there. But I just want to stop and focus on this travel issue 
because it is the, the it is what would have mitigated the crisis and um it, if you had suspended travel from china from italy early on much of the cases here came from the european outbreaks and it was two weeks after italy that we then saw the ginormous nature of our our crisis but i just want to stop you and get you to focus on that question yeah why cuomo refuses in this case to do something that is moderate or centrist or pragmatic mm-hmm. but would have required moral courage and leadership of which he espouses um but it would not have been out of his political brand if you will to do something his politics but maybe not his character of doing something bold right well well that's the irony of of cuomo is that he has a reputation for being bold but i would argue if, if you look at his tenure as governor there's not really a time where he's stepping outside the Overton window and to any great degree. Um, You know, uh, in in terms of, I I agree with you, in terms of a a travel restriction, it was something that Cuomo never even floated. And he was more, more deferential to either, you know, political wins or, or or local concerns. And And I think he, than, than his reputation suggests. You know, I, th- I think of school closures where he was deferring to localities um, days after other governors had closed down schools statewide. He was still saying, well, this this county can do it this way, this county can do it this way. So in, ter- in terms of the, the issue at the Port Authority, Andrew Cuomo is someone who, in, in one sense, is a very powerful executive and, and is someone who will um assert his authority but at the same time he's not necessarily the kind of leader who's going to take an extraordinary unprecedented step he's someone who as you said is very calculating and someone who's very calculating um is not necessarily going to really step out front and do something that's necessary I also want to add, Andrew Cuomo was downplaying the threat of the virus well into March. He and de Blasio had that in common, and you can go back and look at remarks Andrew Cuomo was making in the first week of March, even the second week of March, talking about how the real issue here was fear, and it was not the virus itself. It was panic from the virus, and you shouldn't panic. And he was comparing it to the common flu. I want to say as late as March 11th uh, was my recollection. And so if you have a leader who's comparing coronavirus to the flu in March and is telling people that the worst threat from this is panic, then you have a leader who doesn't get what's going on. And the Cuomo administration did not get it. And at the same time, they failed miserably to coordinate effectively with the city Department of Health. And that's another issue as well, um, that there was really no attempt because of this feud, because of Cuomo's obsession with undermining de Blasio, there was very little city and state coordination. And that was really another way that um, this all failed. And, and, and ultimately, you know, Cuomo is a centrist and de Blasio is center left, so, but they don't really come from very different traditions. You know, Bill de Blasio was once a uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign manager. He's very much a, a mainstream 
um, Democrat who will occasionally pivot left um, on certain issues um, or, you know, in his embrace of Bernie Sanders in the second campaign. But, but I don't think Bill de Blasio is politically far different than Andrew Cuomo. I think he, he's somewhat different. But I, would, I would put them on spectrums that are, are closer than popular wisdom suggests. You point out, Ross, that Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio, to an extent, they were repeating some of the information that was already determined to be misinformation originating in China. So the, the comment about asymptomatic not being transmissible and the comment about relating this to the flu, those were comments that weeks earlier had then been corrected even by the censoring powers in China. So it was amazing to see the city and state health authorities deny that this could be transmittable asymptomatically. Um, and we got, um, we got the fabrication of the misinformation sort of just two weeks later. We didn't get the corrected, transparent, scientifically literate account of this peculiar and pernicious um, and explosive pandemic. Um, but, you know, the, the reality is that despite everything we've just discussed, and maybe despite the differences in New York's response compared to Washington State and Governor Inslee's response, Governor Cuomo, by virtue of, of doing press conferences in which he sounds empathetic and intelligent to the lay listener, um, was able to um, demonstrate some resilience and aptitude, even though it is just judged against the low bar that is the national response. So if you look at the Trump press conferences and the, and the Cuomo press conferences, you see a world of difference to a lay person, but you don't see a world of difference if you're an epidemiologist or you're Tony Fauci, or if you're part of the scientifically engaged community that wants uh, consistency and rigor in the response. So I just wanted you to, to weigh in on this because Governor Inslee is someone who comes across likewise as empathetic and he managed the response there and, and what, was, what appeared to be initially a huge problem with their nursing centers in a different way than we did um, so I wondered if you could expound on that. Sure. So, you know, I mean, Inslee, you know, was really an example of, of a governor who trusted his scientists who really led with, with science-based policy. And if you read about what happened in Washington, there was very consistent public messaging and that that's so important in pandemics like these, you, you know, when you close, when you say schools are going to be closed, you convey to a populace that this is serious. We have to do something radical and out of the ordinary to save lives. Schools don't close very often. New York City, they almost never close. Andrew Cuomo was a governor for whatever reason, and I'm still not entirely sure why, either was taking very bad advice or ignoring good advice. And 
was very inconsistent around messaging and managing this crisis. And, and so while he was getting credit for speaking in a way that comforted others, if you actually look at the words he was espousing, they were contradictory. Again, when you compare the coronavirus to the flu, it's, it's not the flu, it's worse. And you do this well into March. And it, it, he, he very disingenuously supposes that there was nothing New York could really do and, and no one warned us and the federal government failed. And we know the federal government failed. Donald Trump is deeply incompetent. And that's at the core of his ideology. It, it's not fascism. It, it's deep incompetence and narcissism. And that's where we are today. Um, but we knew the federal government was incompetent, and we knew coronavirus was ravaging China, and it was only a matter of time before it came here. And certain governors understood that and moved very quickly. I, I cite Washington and California in particular, um, though there were others too, like in Ohio and Michigan, um, and, and Cuomo did not, and he had the power to do it. And, and it's truthfully we all paid the price for his failure to act. And, and that's a right. very disturbing thing to think, to think of. Ross, reputationally, given the Democratic Party faithful in the state and the fact that voters of a lot of ideological stripes have, have endorsed Governor Cuomo, have supported him, have have seen him, you know, as a leader. Um, what greater account do you think is is required of his administration and his management of this crisis, specifically with respect to, you know, the the past and and the future? So I think that most Americans are concerned now, and New Yorkers are concerned about the future. So it seems very clear to me that if he were to arbitrarily um, heed some kind of Trumpian uh, dictate around reopening the economy too soon, and then there was a second wave in New York, uh, be it this summer or the fall, that I do think despite the, the state faithful, if you will, the party state faithful who, who like Cuomo and his general approval, um, approve of his conduct, you know, that do you think that becomes a tipping point where there is more actualized pressure um, that would, that would durably change the, the composition of the, of the party uh, so that whoever succeeds Cuomo, it's not going to be Cuomo light. It's going to be someone who sees government um, as a progressive force for change uh, a la FDR or someone more in the um, Bernie Sanders camp uh, with respect mm -hmm. to government. Um, what is it going to take for, for the sort of New York faithful to recognize um, the inadequacies of this, this tenure? I won't speak of his past terms as governor, but this particular term mm -hmm. as governor. Mm -hmm. It, it will first. It's it's going to take a while. There, there there's going to be many months, years, of sifting through this wreckage. There are going to be at the minimum. There will need to be independent investigations. The, the state legislature has called for one. That's a start. 
I would like something akin to the 9-11 Commission or the Warren Commission to really spend a great amount of time excavating all of this. In terms of the political dynamics, New York is a strange place. Um, we don't have a history of very competitive statewide elections, at least not in recent years. We have very poor campaign finance law that allows incumbents like Cuomo to amass very large sums of money, making the displacement of statewide incumbents incredibly hard to do. So I do believe in whatever future there is, the next governor will probably govern as more of a progressive than Cuomo. That, that won't be so reluctant to move to the left and, and will embrace um, certain you know bigger bigger and bolder policies or, or will even just be you know a governor more in the mold of a jay inslee or a gavin newsom um i don't know when that will be you know cuomo is not term limited new york state officials do not have term limits he will seek re-election in 2022 he'll have an inordinate amount of money and, and any change of that dynamic will come down to the candidate you need a strong insurgent candidate who can raise millions and millions of dollars and really galvanize the electorate through television, through radio, through the means um, through, through the means that mo most voters still come into contact with Ross, their so are, are politicians. You speculating or predicting that he will run for yet another term? Yes, I think he absolutely will run in 2022. Regardless I, of I, I how will. the presidential plays out. I, I, I do, I, you know, I don't know if there's a cabinet position that can uh, get Cuomo out of New York. Maybe attorney general, that, that's been one that's floated. Maybe chief of staff. Keep in mind, Andrew Cuomo runs the third largest budget in America. It's the United States of America's budget is number one, California's number two, New York's number three. I, I think people underestimate the degree of power that he wields. Um, he, he's not a senator. He's not a congressman. He, he's something much more significant. So, Ross, in the minutes we have remaining, yes. let's focus on that, which is yes. um, your reporting in the Guardian, in the nation, over many years about the inadequacies. So it's not just his administration now and, and management or mismanagement of this crisis, it's the fact that economically this crisis is going to precipitate huge collapses of uh, the safety net or whatever base level support there is uh, for uh, Americans, and in this case, New Yorkers. So. Uh, this is just really a further exploration of the last question, but when will New Yorkers, in, in, in response to what kinds of cuts will New Yorkers galvanize? Because we know that, that Zephyr Teachout and, and Tim Wu and then you know, Cynthia Nixon later on, um, their own politics and personalities were not enough. Now, in this economic climate, Cuomo will possibly still not insist on a billionaire or sufficient millionaire tax. And as a result, will use the economic crisis to cut critical public services. Uh, you mentioned in your most recent report, education services. So how, how can we be watchful of what is about to happen? I mean, and it really is about to happen. 
Well, it's very important for voters and for people who are, are following politics and policy in New York to really make their voices heard around these cuts. You know, Andrew Cuomo is someone who has, throughout his tenure, wanted to operate from an austerity mindset. New York still has a very big budget, but at the same time, when he can, he does cut. He doesn't like raising taxes. And so if you're someone who is perhaps in, in love with the cadence of Andrew Cuomo's voice, I suggest to really follow the money. You know, you, you may see very devastating cuts to K to 12 schools, to public higher education, to public transit, to a whole host of services in the state if federal money doesn't show up. And that's the key. Cuomo is really holding the state hostage to get his federal money. I don't blame him in the sense that we all need federal money, but the issue is we, we can't rely on Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell to come up with $60 billion for New York State. It would be great if that happened. I can't say I'm optimistic. So in the meantime, New York State really has to do what it can to stave off the worst of the cuts. No one is saying there won't be any cuts. What we're saying is austerity is self-defeating. We've seen this in Europe. We've seen this in the United States. You cut, you cut, and you cut, and the depression spirals deeper. You can't crawl out of it, and people lose their jobs. And Andrew Cuomo is setting us up for deep budget cuts. Will that provoke backlash? Maybe, perhaps, when the golden haze around him subsides and, and, and people start to see him as a ordinary politician again as they used to and not Good. this great god of corona so golden haze i suppose is better than golden shower ross um, yeah. <laughs> so you know final question what what specifically do you think um can can, can prepare the more progressive Democrats in the legislature uh, to negotiate a peaceful resolution here um, that in the absence of a bolder governor can at least, you know, do as little harm as possible. The legislature needs to come together to combat the worst of Andrew Cuomo's cuts. There's a lot of leverage there. You, you have a Democratic-controlled assembly, a Senate, and they do have the power to push back. They have the power to push for tax hikes. They have the power to override Cuomo's veto. So they, they've been spectators until now. They have to stop being spectators and, and start governing and start being the check on the executive branch they're supposed to be. In, in, in lieu of a great progressive hope for New York, it's really the state legislature that will have to offer an alternative vision and do what they can if not to achieve their vision wholesale, to mitigate the worst of the austerity approach that um, Andrew Cuomo very much wants to take. Ross Barkan, columnist for The Guardian, contributor to The Nation, author of Demolition Night, NYU adjunct professor, and expert on Mayor de Blasio and Governor Cuomo, having covered them um, in state politics for some time uh, in depth, substantively. Appreciate your time today, Ross. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.